Choose Linux, episode 21, for October 31st, 2019. Hello and welcome to the show that captures the excitement of discovering Linux. I'm Joe. I'm Drew. And I'm Mel. And here we are for episode 21. Later on, we'll be talking about all the ways we get software on our systems. But before that, let's do distro hoppers. And last time, the random distribution button on distrowatch.com gave us Chaos Linux, which is an independent distro that uses the KDE Plasma desktop. So how did you two get on? Actually, I had a great time. It was really simple to use. I mean, there wasn't anything difficult about it. And what I enjoyed is it kind of talked me through the process. And what I mean by that is so, you know, you do the installer, you go in and choose everything. And as it's installing, it breaks down the install process. It says, you know what? During the first 10% here, what we're doing is we're setting up the disk process. We're copying over the ISO, and now we've reached 30%. At this point, what we're doing is we're copying over 25 post-install modules that are going to run within specific options. And just kind of does that throughout the whole process, so you're not just wondering, you know, what's actually going on? And that's the first time I've actually seen that through any installer. Well, when you install Ubuntu, the Ubiquiti installer does tell you kind of what it's doing, but not really in plain English. Yeah, I really appreciated just how straightforward it was about everything that was happening. In fact, when I went to do the installation, I really just went through, left all the settings at default, and just kind of let it rip to see what would happen. And everything was really straightforward and... I understood everything that was going on without really needing to read into it very much, and it all just worked fabulously. Another thing that I noticed is it was talking about how they use CRC to be able to find any hardware issues that might be going on with the system, and then they try to go back and improve it with like a crash algorithm that they have. And I did notice that despite what the last four distro hops that we've had, me going, well, I had hardware issues— I didn't have any this time. That can't be right. You must have done something wrong. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that you two are so positive about this because for me, although, yes, it booted into the live session, no problem, and then installed perfectly easily, when I then rebooted, it just kind of stalled halfway through the boot process and I didn't know what was happening. And so then I thought, okay, let me check the hash of the download. Let me re-DD it onto the USB drive and installed it again, and the same thing happened. And then I thought, right, I'm giving up for today. I've got other things to do, so I just moved on. And then the next day, I just thought, well, let me just try. And sure enough, it booted into the the login, and I was able to get going. But then after subsequent reboots, the same thing happened. It stalled halfway through. And it was only at that point that I thought, let me try and change into a different TTY control, Alt F7. Whoa, suddenly it worked. And then ever since, it's been the same situation. It seemingly stalls, and I have to press Control-Alt-F7 to get into it, which is a weird bug and a weird kind of workaround. But once I did that, then I was up and running. Well, it wouldn't be distro hoppers if one-third of us didn't have some kind of installation issue, would it? (laughs) Yeah, true. But then once I actually got it working, I was faced with a modern Plasma 5 desktop a bit strange that the panel is on the right-hand side vertically, and it took me a little while to work out how to get that onto the bottom where it belongs. But otherwise, it just seemed to be a fairly fast and not massively interesting distro, really. I don't know 
if I'd agree. And maybe that's because we have different workflows. But when I logged in, I'm greeted by Croso, which they say is Welsh for welcome. And then it was, okay, what do you want to do? How do you want to set up your uh, distro to look like? You know, what do you want to set up your desktop to look like? So it gave me widgets I could install. I could go ahead and, you know, mess around with the Plasma theme, install different window decorations, set up different icon set. My favorite part, which I have not seen in other distros, was actually enabling you to change the font setting. Uh, I may have talked about it before, but I love using the dyslexia font because it just makes things easier for me to read. And I could import that right in. So it was like the Sims for my desktop. I don't know, I really enjoyed it because I was able to configure everything the way that I wanted. And I do enjoy the toolbar on the side. So that wasn't a problem for me. I forgot about that welcome screen. I did explore it a little bit, but I tend to just default to closing them and just trying to model my own way through it. I actually really liked Croso. I explored it quite a bit. There are a couple of things about it, though, that I would like to see updated and improved upon because I think it's a really, really strong piece of software that just has a couple little minor issues. The first being that, you know, I connected to Wi-Fi during the installation, but that didn't carry over into the newly set up system. So... When Croso launched the first time, it couldn't connect to the internet. So the news section and the docs section were functionally useless because they couldn't connect to what they needed to connect to until after I had reconnected Wi-Fi. So I think it would be a lot better if it prompted the user to go ahead and connect to the internet before launching that the first time. Or it should remember your credentials. That's something I'd forgotten about. You think I'd remember after installing it three times, but... It requires you to connect to the network to install a thing, which I don't really like. Yeah, but other than that, I really enjoyed being able to set up a dark theme like immediately upon logging in. That was really, really cool and really good for somebody like me who prefers something a little darker because I get migraines with bright screens. I think you're right. There's something to be said about being able to set up your desktop environment and your computer to feel like home. You know, you're more likely to explore it. You're more likely to use it. And I think that it makes distro hopping just a better experience for everyone. It's funny that I didn't bother changing the theme. I thought pretty much all of the defaults were fine, apart from where the panel was, which was fairly easy to change. Everything else, I just didn't feel the need to. It, it didn't look beautiful, but it didn't look horrendous. And I am not a visual person. And I, as long as it's not just really, really ugly, I'm just happy to accept defaults. Well, and I actually, I stayed with the default theme. The only thing that I did was flip it to the dark version of that theme. And I thought that the theme was actually really nice. It's called uh, Midna, M-I-D-N-A. And it's really well put together. The only thing that I wasn't really thrilled with were the icons. I'm just not a fan of those boxy Finza style icons. When you are talking about defaults, one thing I noticed that has been different in this hop is we had Falcon as a browser. And then when I opened it up, instead of going to Google or the OS uh, webpage, they went to DuckDuckGo. So I was like, all right, DuckDuckGo. Hello, my old friend. And to me, it was really just exploring other options and software and kind of introducing you to tools that you might not be exposed to if you're using one of the main distributions. Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned the browser. The first thing I did was install Firefox, which thankfully was very easy to do. Really? Because when I tried to install it, I kept getting 404 errors from the mirrors. Ah, had you updated first? I thought I did. Now I'm questioning it. 
All right, because I did the update in the the software manager Octopi, and that all worked perfectly. I did a reboot, and then I installed Firefox. To be fair, and I installed a few different applications, and it was all fine. There were a few missing ones, a few of the more obscure ones that I use, like Get iPlayer and stuff. But the main ones were there, like Audacity, which worked perfectly. So yes. As someone who has been familiar with the command line and, you know, GUI, I should know when you update, you reboot. However, I I kind of do count on the OS telling me it needs to reboot if it needs to, especially when I'm using a GUI tool. And I was never prompted to do a reboot after the update. That's just force of habit for me. Whenever I install something and do an update, if it's a major looking update, I think, yeah, let's just reboot just to be sure. But you're right. It really ought to prompt you. Yeah, I agree. And as far as the applications that come by default, there were some interesting choices. Now, I get that they wanted to stay as close to KDE only as possible, but if somebody's coming in and they don't have a long history of working with KDE or Qt applications, they might not know what some of these things are. And they did have the feature that shows the generic name in the menus turned off. So if I didn't already know that Falcon was a web browser, I might be looking around trying to figure out, well, how am I supposed to connect to the web? Yes, but if you do a search for software, then Octopi comes up, for example, or browser, then Falcon comes up. So it's kind of splitting the difference there, I think. And you just have to use a bit of logic with the menu. And I did go around and play it around with just clicking on things and seeing what it was. But I obviously have to do my day job. And when we do these distro hops, I try to not touch the other computers. And this is where things started going really bad for me because most of the tools I needed weren't available through Octopi. Even I did turn off the computer and come back to it, turn it back on. So that should have handled the reboot. But when I was trying to install things that I use, like Slack that I have to use for work, I couldn't get it installed through Octopi, so then I started trying to use Pac-Man. However, the mirrors I was having issues with, and I ended up actually using a make file, which installed it, but I couldn't get it to boot. So I don't know how newbie-friendly this was. Like, I was able to troubleshoot my way out of it, but had I not had a few months, maybe a year of experience under my belt, I don't think I could have done it. Well, you mentioned Pac-Man, which is from Arch, And this isn't Arch-based, but it does use Pac-Man. And I found that so useful because Octopi, that graphical software manager, I couldn't really get on with it. It was just a bit clunky and confusing. But as soon as I was just in the command line with Pac-Man, everything was just so simple. You know, I think it's interesting that you had so many issues with Octopi since you're such a big fan of the Synaptic package manager. Octopi felt like it was a pretty decent analog to traditional kind of classic graphical package managers. And I didn't really have any trouble with it whatsoever. But that said, it is really nice to have Pac-Man available. And I've really enjoyed using Pac-Man over the years on Arch and Manjaro installs. So having that available was really helpful as well. Yeah, I think it's one of the best things about this distro. But as for Octopi, yes, it did remind me initially of Synaptic, but then it just seemed to work in slightly different ways and just clunky is the only word I can come up with. I'm sure if I spent more time with it, I could get to know it better, but I just got to the point where I was frustrated and then it was like, right, close that, just go to the command line, make it much quicker. 
So I know it was a little bit negative when it came to the install process, but I have to say that I have one really good win that came out of this distro hop. And I have an old 2010 MacBook Pro where one of the kids had shoved basically the headphone jack into the port and then just broken it off. We've tried everything to get it out, ordering special tools, trying to take it to the Mac store. At this point, we just figured this computer will never have audio. But I thought, if I put it on Linux and install Pavu Control, maybe I can start messing around with the actual interfaces. So when I installed Chaos on there, I booted it up and all the audio interfaces were already separate. So all I had to do was turn down the headphone jack and I had sound and a fully functioning Mac again. I mean, Mac without the OS. <laughs> with a superior OS, come on. There you go. So I quickly <laughs> changed my background to, you know, uh, Tux breaking out of an apple, and we're all happy, and we have a computer we can use again. <laughs> oh, excellent. So this distro as a whole kind of has a feel of being a KDE kind of showcase, and I wanted to see how the developers pitched it. So I actually went over to their about page and started reading about the project goals and how they saw the project in the greater Linux ecosystem. And they have some really interesting things to say there. One quote is that, Moving away from proprietary operating systems to open source options, Linux-based, BSD-based, Solaris-based, is about wanting freedom and choice in almost all cases. And I, I found that particular quote right at the beginning really interesting because the rest of the kind of manifesto here is all talking about why they have taken choice away from users by restricting what kinds of software are in the repositories. So... To me, it's a little strange that they have that right up front and then they defend their decisions of really focusing only on cute apps and only including GTK or other toolkits when there is no cute app to fill a gap. Well, surely the ultimate freedom is the freedom to not use the distro, right? If you're not happy with how they've set it up. Much like with elementary OS, they have a certain vision, which is very much GTK based. And if you don't like it, then just use a different distro. So I, I don't think that it's fair to criticize them for talking about freedom and then kind of restricting your freedom for what you can use on that distro. I think that it's good to see a kind of single-minded, focused effort like this, where they're not trying to be everything to everyone. They're just trying to be a really solid, up-to-date, KDE-based distro. Yeah, and I do take your point. And I think that's perfectly fair as a project goal. It, just the way that it's worded in the about page is a little, I don't know, odd maybe. Overall, I thought it was a good distro. And they do clarify in that about page that they're making this distribution for, quote, users who have tried many operating systems, distributions, desktop environments, and have found that they prefer a distribution that uses all its available resources to work on one DE to make that the best that it can be. And know that after their searches, the best for them is KDE. Which I think is a laudable goal. I just have some issues with the way that some of the rest of it is uh, worded, I guess. 
You know, in the end, if you are somebody that believes in that mission and you're thinking, you know what, I'd like to help them kind of further the cause, on the website, they actually have a call for sponsors and they're just looking for people to, you know, help in development, even mirroring so that others can download the OS, hardware, virtual infrastructure. So there's definitely a place for people to volunteer and help further the distribution. Yeah, we'll have a link in the show notes for that. So normally we wrap these up by me saying, well, I don't think we're going to stick with this. But it sounds like, Elle, you're probably going to leave it on that Mac then. I don't know how long. We'll see how it goes with uh, installing packages, but I'll give it a try. Yeah, and for me, this doesn't quite scratch that itch, so I probably won't be sticking with it. Yeah, and Plasma's not really for me. I do quite like it, and I do like all the customizations, but as long as I've got my XFCE-based disk drives, I think I'll be using them for now. All right, well, let's have a look what we're going to be looking at next time then. Let's go to distrowatch.com and click the random distribution button. And we've got Void. Ah, Void Linux. Yes, I've heard of this. I haven't used it for quite some time, though. Uh, It's an independently developed general-purpose operating system based on Linux. It uses a hybrid binary slash source package management system. So, yeah, I hear a lot of buzz about this. So have you two ever used it? I have not. I've never even heard of it. (laughs) Ah, well, this should be interesting then. Look forward to trying it out. So when we're not trying out different distros for distro hoppers and we're just using our main machines, Drew, you are on Fedora, I'm on Zubuntu, and Al, you are on PopOS. What is your go-to for installing software? So I have to admit, I've become very lazy. And I'm lucky that Pop just has a lot of the things I use, even with third party. And when it doesn't, I just install it with Snap. But you tend to default to whatever's in the repo. Yep. I'm a little more picky. Uh, Some things I really like having as flat packs. And some things I really much prefer having installed from the base system. And a lot of it centers around, do I need this for pro audio or not? Pipewire isn't mature enough yet, so I'm still using full-on jack for my audio subsystem in most cases. And neither Snaps nor Flatpaks have really nailed that integration yet. So if I need it to talk to Pro Audio, it's installed from the base system. But if it's just a standard application, like, you know, text editor or Spotify or something like that, um, I typically go through Flatpaks. You know, one change that I have had to make in my workflow happened when we did that Hugo review, because when I installed through the basic repositories on the system, I ended up with a version that was, what, like five, six, maybe even more versions behind what I could get on Snap. So I've had to pay more attention to what it is that I'm actually getting when I do an install. Maybe that's something I should have been doing all along, I figure, as I'm saying that out loud. (laughs) Well, it really depends, doesn't it? Because a text editor is a perfect example of something that doesn't need to be the latest version. As long as you've got your security updates and everything, which you'd have from something that's based on an Ubuntu LTS, like the distros that you and I use, L. Yeah, as long as it works as a text editor, it doesn't matter. And you can extrapolate that to Audacity, for example. There are some newer features in the newer version of it, which you can get from a snap, but the version that's in Ubuntu 18.04 is perfectly adequate. And therefore, that's just what I use. Same with Mumble. There's a new version of that has come out recently. But 
it's not compelling enough for me to upgrade to it. And I think that it, it has to be something that you need a feature that is not in the version that you've already got available to you to warrant going and using a separate packaging system like Snaps. And see, I differ from you there in that I find it very interesting to be able to use a flat pack of an application that I quite like and know that it's tracking upstream maybe a little better than my system's distribution. But then is tracking upstream necessarily always a good thing? Because you get these newer features, but you also potentially get instability. Or newer bug fixes that haven't made it through testing on Fedora or Ubuntu or whoever yet. Well, yeah, that's the kind of double-edged sword there. But generally speaking, in an Ubuntu LTS, the stuff that's in the repo is going to be pretty solid. That's what I've found, at least. Oh, for sure. And like I said, there are some packages that I much prefer to have installed from the base system. And for me, that's typically mission-critical things that I really need the most stable version possible, which, like you pointed out, is probably going to be from the distribution. So one thing we haven't mentioned yet, and I, I don't even know exactly how to phrase this without throwing an OS under the bus here, but when I did the hop uh, originally on my own to SUSE, and I kept trying to install things, and I just remember thinking, how many repositories do I have to install on here so that I can get what I want? It's something that I guess isn't in every distro, but does give me pause because at some point I install so many repositories that I'm not even sure where I'm getting things from and can I count on you know the security behind it and who's actually maintaining this repo? Well, yeah, things like PPAs in Ubuntu and the AUR in Arch and Copper in Fedora, you've got this other avenue to get loads more software that may be more up-to-date or is just not available. But there's always that question mark. There's always that research that you have to do to make sure that you are staying secure. Right. And that's not to say that there aren't repositories for newer packaging formats either. I mean, there aren't with snaps, but flat packs, certainly you can run your own repository or pull from somebody else's repository if you want. Not to mention other containerized formats like OCI and web apps or app images where you download the application straight from a website, just like you used to do back in the dark ages. Well, that's true, but you mentioned web apps there. And to me, I think they are the safest bet. And that Slack problem you had, Al, there's your solution. Web app is one way of looking at it. Website is maybe another name for it. Mm -hmm. And that's generally how I use Slack. You do miss some features, but if it's only messages that you need, then the Slack web app is perfectly functional. I've gotten away from doing that because I will miss messages in the 800 other tabs that I have open or the fact that I minimize that window so I could see my other tabs. It just hasn't really been a viable solution for my workflow. All right, because you can enable notifications, at least in Firefox, and then you get that popping noise or whatever. And same with Telegram. That's how I use Telegram on the desktop as well, is just web.telegram.org. And you can enable notifications and they pop up in your notification area just like a native app. You know, Joe, I don't know what your Slack life is like, but if I had notifications on, I would go insane. I just find it easier to tab over to the little Slack icon every once in a while and check in. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's probably a more sensible way of doing it. Yeah, nobody talks to us. We're always off in the corner. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
But this does bring up a key distinction for me, something that we kind of haven't brought up yet, the difference between proprietary software and open source software. And generally speaking, proprietary software is not going to be in the repos. Take Chrome, for example. How I install that on Ubuntu is I just go to chrome.com and download this deb package, run it as root, and just let it take over my system. Because as far as I can see, that's the only real way to do it. Whereas with Telegram or Slack, I can use the web app in Firefox, and I don't have to install this random binary from some third party. Ah, but when you use something like a Flatpak or a Snap, the application is segregated off from the rest of your system so that it can't interact with your base system and go about mucking things up. So there is a little bit of a layer of security there that gives me peace of mind, at least. Well, it does depend on the level of sandboxing. With Snap, which I know more about than Flatpak, you have different levels of confinement, including classic confinement, which means no confinement. And it really depends on how exactly that application is going to work as to how much sandboxing you're actually going to get. I'm definitely not an expert on the underlying technology with either format, but I know that flat packs don't have any sense of a classic confinement and they do use something called portals to be able to allow specific portions of a flat pack to talk to specific portions of your base system but it's all set up with a permission structure where you can decide what things can talk to what and you can actually shut these connections down sort of like the permissions menu in modern android that is all well and good, and I do not want to start a package format war here, but flat packs rarely work for me. It's not a surprise to me that they work well for you because you're on GNOME, whereas even though I'm on a GTK desktop, XFCE, flat packs just generally don't work with me. I seem to have just had no luck with them, whereas snaps and app images have tended to work a lot better for me. And that's not particularly surprising. Snaps are a first-class citizen on any Ubuntu distribution. And whenever I'm on Ubuntu, I do tend to default towards Snaps. But I didn't have any problems with Flatpak and XFCE, at least when I was trying that out on Fedora. So I don't know, maybe your mileage may vary? Yeah, your mileage may vary. That's how it's been for me. I've had good and bad experiences with pretty much all of the different ways to install software on Linux. Yeah, but honestly, I have a lot of hope for the future with these new formats. Now, I know that we're fast approaching a VHS Betamax situation with flat packs and snaps, but I really hope that one of them really does take the lead and becomes the de facto format for standard software, at least. Maybe not system-level stuff. Maybe not things like my next cloud client or other software that needs to tie in maybe a little more deeply. But for most other things, I really think that it could be a good way forward. I mean, they're, they're cross-platform and they're somewhat developer-friendly because a developer could host the application themselves and not have to worry about their application getting repackaged and possibly repackaged incorrectly for this, that, or the other distro. And they do have the potential for offering better security for things like web browsers or text editors or other things that have been traditional attack vectors. So I want to see how it goes. I want to see 
how it ends up in the future. Maybe this time in five years, most things will be flat packs or snaps. You're a dreamer, Drew. You're not going to have one winning. You're just going to have both doing well, I think. I think they're both going to mature and they're both going to serve different purposes. Well, there's a kind of Venn diagram, I think, where Flatpak is very much focused on the desktop and it'll do that really well. And snaps are much broader than that. They can work from IoT through server and cloud to the desktop. And so there's a bit of overlap there. But I think what you'll end up with is just two, not necessarily competing standards, but two standards, which is probably good because then you'll kind of have a situation where they drive each other forward, maybe. So XKCD 927 then? Yes, exactly. Well, when you bring XKCD up, you know it's time to get out of here. So remember, you can go to choose slash subscribe to get all the future episodes and choose slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. And you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at L underscore O underscore punk at hello punk. I'm at Drew of Doom. And I'm at Joe Rissington. Happy Halloween. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye.